Joseph's mother, she was quite my favorite wife. I never really loved another all my life. Joseph was my joy because he reminded me of her. up Joseph, Jacob lived his youth again. Loved him, praised him, gave him all he could, but then it made the rest feel second best and even if they were. Being told we're all so bent does not make us Joseph fans. But when they have really missed the boat is we're great guys but no one seems to know this. I knew my sheepskin days were gone. Such a dazzling coat of many colors. How he loved his coat of many colors. In a class above the rest, it even went well with his vest. Such a stunning coat of many colors. How he loved his coat of many colors. It was red, red and yellow. And in Missouri this morning. <laughs> All of us remember that guy in high school who was always so arrogant, and, and he was loud, and he was obnoxious, and he was always bragging about everything. He, he seemed to get all the breaks, right? He started on the football team. He always dated a cheerleader, and he made the best grades uh, of everybody. And then you go to your 10-year reunion or your 15 reunion or your 20-year reunion, and you can't wait to see this guy because you're hoping that his luck finally ran out, right? And that he has blown it completely. Uh, he's lost all of his money in the stock market, and he's fat now, but he pulls up in a Porsche, and outsteps his model wife. He's got a Fortune 500 company. He lives on a golf course. He's got three children. One's a starting quarterback. One's in musicals, and one is in Mensa. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're a good person, but this is driving you crazy, right? And you would be happy. In fact, you would be ecstatic. In fact, you would jump over the moon if he showed up 30 pounds overweight, bald, right? And, and with his third wife on his arm, whose face would scare a cow, and you say, well, what is all that about? I mean, is it because we're bad people? Probably. But, but really, <laughs> it's because 
arrogant people are so full of themselves, and, and we want to see them fail, right? And, and we want to see uh, them take a tumble because we want to be justified in our judgment of them, right? That we would say, ha, I knew it. You're not as great as you think you are, and you're not as good as you think you are. And, and this book, the Bible, is filled with all kinds of characters, and some of them good, and some of them heroes, and some of them screw up royally. Uh, but, but there are also some brash and some arrogant characters in Scripture. And here's the thing, that all of their stories are telling a greater story. And all of their stories are, are a part of God's big story called, called the Bible. And we've said that the story in the Bible is summarized in three things from beginning to end, that God made us that God loves us, and that God's coming to rescue us. And last week, we started looking at that rescue plan beginning to unfold, and we said that that rescue plan is going to happen through a family, that God wanted a family, and his rescue plan involves family, and he's gonna use a family to rescue us from our sin and from ourselves, and that family started with Abraham which is such a strange story, right? We looked at it last week, but such incredible truth there. But, but God called Abraham to leave his home and to leave his family, and he moved out west, and now he was homeless, and he was familyless, and, and his only family member, his nephew Lot, left him for a place called Sodom. But God said to Abraham, I am going to make you the father of many nations. To which Abraham's response had to be, that's fine, God. And I want to believe you that's going to be really difficult for you to do because I am 100 years old, right? Going to be difficult for you to do. But ultimately, he ended up believing God. He did believe God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. The book of Hebrews, the hall of faith in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 calls us uh, and tells us that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And, and he, he has a great family. And it's the family of God. But it was still a complicated family, and there were still complicated relationships there. And he has a son named Isaac who had two sons named Jacob and Esau. Really messed up family, right? And Jacob and Esau take sibling rivalry to a whole nother level. And Jacob has 12 sons, and that's where we're going to pick up in the story today with Jacob's 12 sons. We read about that in Genesis 37. So if you've got your Bible, let's go there. Genesis chapter 37. And uh, is a very complicated story. It is a very messed up family, but it's God's family. And this is the family that God was going to use to bring the rescuer into the world. But first, they got to get over their problems with their younger uh, or youngest brother. And Joseph was like that guy I began talking about today. Right, he he was the youngest. He he was the bold one, the arrogant one, the young kid, and all of his brothers hated him for that. He was always getting the breaks. He was always coming out ahead. And let's pick it up in verse three, Genesis thirty-seven. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph: a beautiful robe. You might have heard of this robe, right? I mean, the coat of many colors. Imagine this nice flowing robe with all these colors. And it was so beautiful and so prestigiously made that thousands of years later, they make a Broadway musical about this robe, right? And the robe was a special gift from his father, and I'm sure it made his brothers even more jealous. Look at verse four. <clears throat> but his brothers hated Joseph. 
because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word about him. Now listen, this is more than just picking on the little brother. And then this is more than bullying uh, the, the little brother. Joseph is not completely innocent in this thing. He, he has got this nice fancy robe. He's wearing it all the time. And hey guys, did you see my robe? Did you check out my robe? Would you take a look at my robe? And, it, and it's okay for you to have a nice uh, robe to wear, but can you imagine? I think he's just showing it off a little, right? And, and he's showing it off to them a little bit. He's the youngest kid, and now I don't have to go out in the field. But if I do, I'm going to wear my robe. And, and let me just ask this question. Any of you the youngest sibling in your family? Just raise your hand. Midtown, Chicago, raise your hand. You're the youngest. And let me just say, in fact, there was a little sway in one of the waves over there. Uh, To the rest of us who are not the youngest, you drove us crazy. (laughs) Because you got the best of everything. You you got the best parenting because they made all the mistakes on us. You got the best clothes, you got the breaks, you had an entirely different childhood, and you were the one that was spoiled rotten. And so here's Joseph, the youngest, and he is showing off his robe, and kind of like the guy that goes to the gym and all that workout get up, right? And uh, just funny to me, actually. And when I go to the gym, I've been in the study for hours, and I roll in 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 gym shorts and a Disciple Now t-shirt from 1994 from Arkansas. And, and uh, But these guys walk in, and they got all the Under Armour stuff on and all the Lululemon, which is not cool. <laughs> and, and the shoes that their toes, you know, they have ho- toes, uh, you know, for their, for their feet. And these special socks, and they got straps around their biceps and straps around their wrists and these gloves on. And all this gear. And, and it, it's just silly, right? And they look at us in the gym shorts and, and just smirk. They have to wear these socks and these straps around here. And, you know, they're really tight so that their biceps really stick out. And, and, uh, and you, you just, they use every piece of equipment in the gym. They're over in the scaffolding, you know, working out. And, 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 and it's just ridiculous, right? And I have no idea what all that stuff is for. And I don't even know how you would use all those machines. And, but, but it's just silly. And it's one thing for Joseph to show off his new clothes but God had also given him special gifts. And that one of the special gifts he had was these dreams. And, and these dreams weren't just any dreams. That they were from God dreams. Look at verse uh, 5. And one night Joseph had a dream where he told his brothers about it. And they hated him even more. Listen to the dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and all your bundles gathered around it and they began to bow low before my bundle. Tip. God gives you a dream like that? Shut up. Right? Don't tell it to your brothers or the ones whose bundles are bowing down. And somebody needs to teach this kid some manners, right? And that's the way the brothers felt. And I'm getting the feeling that he just can't keep his mouth shut. And so the brothers responded, right? And so look at verse 8. So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us, your older brothers? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And Joseph's brothers think he's getting too big for his britches. And they're sick of hearing all about this. And so they come up with a plan to end this and to fix this once and for all. Look at verse 23. Skip down to verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him in a cistern. 
Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, because throwing your brother in a well makes you hungry, I guess, they, they looked up and they saw this caravan of camels coming in the distance, coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, which is funny, and balm and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, that's my favorite line in all this. After all, he is our brother. Let's not kill him because after all, he is our brother. He is our own flesh and blood. And all the brothers agreed. Now, I can't imagine hating someone so much that that you would treat them like that, right? I mean, I just can't even imagine, especially your own flesh and blood. This is his family, right? Some kind of family this is. Look at verse 28. So when the Ishmaelites, who were the Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. This is one of the saddest stories in all the Bible. It's it's so incredibly sad and difficult. This is the family of God. The the same family that God is going to use to rescue the entire world with, and they treat their own brother like that. Now, I've had you in the shoes of the brothers for the first few minutes. Now, I want you to wear the shoes of Joseph. Imagine you are Joseph for a second. How would you feel, right? With family like this, who needs an enemy? And many of you can relate to Joseph because you have family like that. And you have strained relationships with your parents or strained relationships with your in-laws or or you have an estranged relationship with a sibling. And you're enemies with your own sibling. And you hear the word family and you cringe at that word. And and guess what? You're not alone. God has a family like that. And as the father, the father of all of us, he has strained relations with some of his children. And he he has kids that are estranged from him, and he has children that are relationally far and distant from him, but he loves them, and he loves us all the same, and he's willing to save us, and he's willing to rescue us, and he was determined to use family to do just that. And all throughout the Bible, you see it over and over and over again, the family of God the family of God and they run from him and they sin against him and and they become an enemy of God and then he woos them back and they repent and they come into relational oneness with him again and he rescues us and you get to the story of Jesus and you see it start all over again and you think that Jesus the very son of God come to this earth in flesh that he'd have a great family I mean, who, who could do family better than the one who never sins, ever? Take a look at a couple of verses in Scripture. Look at John chapter 1 on the screen. If you look at this under, it says, He came to the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. This is the family of Jesus. Look, Mark chapter 3, verse 20. One time Jesus entered a house... And crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. There you go. This is Jesus' family. And they think he's nuts. And they don't recognize him and they reject him and they remove him. And Joseph is a type. 
He's a type of Jesus, like we've been talking about for the several, uh, last several weeks. And, and, and he's a type and a picture and a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And I just got finished writing a six-week curriculum on Joseph and on the life of Joseph for Lifeway. And it'll come out sometime next year, and we're going to go shoot videos uh, teaching all this. But this story is incredible. And when you study this story and you go deep in this story, in fact, I encourage you to read the whole story. But, but in Genesis, how does it unfold? I don't have time to read you the whole story, but I want you to read the whole story. This week, read all of these chapters uh, in that last quarter of the book of Genesis and study the life of Joseph. But I, today, what I want to do is just kind of give you a play-by-play. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. Can't be a good thing, right, to go to, into slavery. But Joseph works hard. He always works hard. He's naturally talented. He's got God-given abilities, so he's put in charge. Now he's put in charge of Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife comes around and tries to seduce him. When he says no to her, she accuses him of rape, has him thrown into jail, which can't be a good thing, right? Now you're in jail. So from slavery to butler to jail, which is not looking good for, for Joseph. But even while he's in jail, God remembers him. And you see that over and over in the scripture. God was with him and God remembered him and God rescues him. And while he's in there, God uses him to interpret a dream. That guy who's in the uh, royal court of Pharaoh gets out of jail and he says, hey, would you remember me? Which he doesn't, and at least not at first and not for a long time. But the time comes when Pharaoh starts having dreams and, and Pharaoh's dreams are troubling him. And this cupbearer says, oh, I remember a friend. Uh, you Years ago in jail. Let's go get him. So Pharaoh calls Joseph forward and he interprets the dreams. He gives him the dream and, and communicates the dream to him and God uses him again. And he says, Pharaoh, I got good news and bad news. The good news, the bad news is, the good news is you got seven years of blessing, of plenty, more than enough. Then the bad news is you're gonna, it's gonna be followed with seven years of famine, which is a great lesson in scripture, right? And when God blesses you, he blesses you to be a blessing. And that you are to save for your future, believing that God has brighter days ahead and believing that rainy days are going to come. And Pharaoh believes Joseph in this story, and he's impressed with him, and he's changed now. And Pharaoh sees that. All those days in hard slavery and as a servant have humbled this arrogant boy. And now he is a better man because of it. And Pharaoh recognizes that and sees that. And so here's what he does. He puts him in charge of all of Egypt. And he assigns Joseph to prepare the land and to prepare the nation for the famine uh, that is coming. And he puts him in charge. And imagine after all that betrayal and prison and pain and rejection, now he's in charge of Egypt, the greatest country in the world at that time. And to this day, Egyptians are the wisest and the most handsome people on the planet. (laughs) Scientific fact. And you just just can't argue with science. And, And so, but in this story, Joseph... God is working behind the scenes, right? And he's pulling the strings and he says, I'm working here and and I am working my plan in you and in your life. And and, and you're the child of Abraham and through you and through your family, I'm going to rescue the world. And that's exactly what God did with Joseph and his brothers. And you see this story play out. Remember the brothers, the ones that threw him in the cistern and then sold him into slavery? They're back in Canaan all this time. And they went to daddy and said, daddy, he's dead. Here's his coat. It's ripped up with blood on it. The wild animals must have eaten him and destroyed him. And now there's famine in the land. It has reached the land of Canaan. And they're going to have to come out of Canaan into Egypt to get food. 
for their families and for their livestock. Otherwise, they're all going to die. And, and well, what happens when they get there and they're standing before Joseph? I want you to listen to the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, of this passage. Now, back home, Joseph's brothers had run out of food and everyone was hungry. God's special family was in danger. If they didn't get food soon, they would starve to death. So Joseph's brothers traveled to Egypt to get food. They came and knelt before the new prince. His brothers didn't know that the prince was Joseph, but Joseph knew who they were. Joseph's dream, the one about his brothers bowing down to him, was coming true. It's me, Joseph cried. When they saw it was Joseph, his brothers were afraid. They had wronged Joseph. They had sinned, and they knew it. But Joseph looked at his brothers, and his eyes filled with tears. He threw his arms around them. Don't be afraid, he told them. Behind what you were doing, underneath everything that was happening, God was doing something good. God was making everything right again. Joseph didn't punish them. He rescued them. He brought God's special family to live safely with him in Egypt. One day, God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. His brothers would hate him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he had done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince even the bad things, to do something good, to forgive the sins of the whole world. What, what would you have done? If you're Joseph and, and your brothers who sold you into slavery thought about killing you, had left you in slavery, and now they're standing before you and they're bowing down. They're vulnerable right before you. What, what would you do? And Joseph could have responded in any way or any one of a hundred different ways, right? He, he could have responded, first of all, in revenge. I want you to write that down. He could have responded in revenge. And in that process, you did this to me and you hurt me and now I am going to hurt you back. And he could have said, no grain for you. You go back to Canaan and your family is going to starve and you're going to get what you finally deserve. He, he could have responded secondly in a redo. And by redo, I mean, I've got a new family now. Now you're done to me. You're dead to me. You've lost your chance. He could have said, God put me here in Egypt. And obviously he cares more about the Egyptians. I'm going to take that as a cue that God is in this and wants me here and doesn't want me there. And, you know, Canaan can just forget about God. He could have decided that God's plans have changed and that he was going to redo them. And now this was a different plan. He could have responded with a rewind. Guys, let's go back home, right? Let's all go back together. Let's rewind this you know, tape, and, and let's just start back over in Canaan, and all is forgiven, and let bygones be bygones, and everything flow under the bridge, and, and we'll go back to Canaan, and, and we'll start completely over. But that wasn't God's plan either, and Joseph knew it. And he didn't go through all of that trouble for it to mean nothing. He knew that. 
And he understood that. And that God was somehow going to use all of that trouble. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he looks to his brothers and he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all, all, all for good. God intended all of this for good, and he is the one who brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many, many people. And God's plan all along was to save the lives of many people through a family. That was God's plan, and that family had self-destructed over petty jealousy, but he was going to use that family, and Joseph could have responded in revenge. He could have responded in rewind or rage or wrath, but instead he responded with reconciliation. Write that word down, reconciliation. That is the plan that God decided he would use to win his people back, all the people of the world, and that was the plan that was laid down before them and was blueprinted in these five Final chapters of Genesis that all of us, we've gone too far from God. We've gone way too far from God to get back to him on our own and by our own merit. We went too far with sin to be right with God on our own doing. So God did what no one could do, and the plan was reconciliation. It could not have been easy for Joseph to forgive his brothers. Couldn't have been easy. How did that play out in Joseph's life? Where did he learn uh, that? And I, I want to take you back in the story that, that uh, Genesis 33, flip back to Genesis 33 if you would. That's the climax of the story between Jacob and Esau. Remember, Jacob stole Esau, his brother's birthright, and then ran off in the distance and went and lived it up in wealth and luxury, and now they're living two separate lives. And in this climax of this story in chapter 33, he is coming back to meet with Esau. It's in that journey on his way back to meet Esau where Jacob stops and wrestles with God all night long. Remember that story? And he says to God, I'm not gonna let go of you until you touch me, until you bless me, until you mark me. And God reached in and touched his hip socket and, and dislocated his hip. And from that point forward, he walked with a limp. He had been marked by an encounter with God. And you read Hebrews 12, the Hall of Fame, and it says, and Jacob was standing there on his Cain and his life was forever changed and he is wrestling with God in the fury and in the struggle of God is calling me back to reconciliation he's calling me back to my brother Esau and he's scared what is Esau going to do to me I've taken what is his he has the right to kill me and so the man of God Jacob decides this is his plan. He will put the women and children out front. You all lead the way. There could be a landmine. I need you to walk in front of me. Right? And, and he puts his servants and their children first. And then he puts Leah, the not so favorite wife. That's just a tragic story for Leah. And he puts Leah there with her children, and then he puts his favorite wife, Rachel. Look at verse 2, chapter 33, and look at how the Bible puts it. He put his servant wives and their children out front, and then Leah and her children next, and then Rachel and Joseph last. What is special about this verse of Scripture? And what's different about it? Listen to me. There's 12 sons, and the only one mentioned and maybe the only one present for this interaction is Joseph. 
And God is doing something bigger. And God is doing something deeper. And God is doing something broader than just recording history there. He is writing the story behind the story for us. And he is pointing something out really, really, really important to us. That Joseph had a front row seat to what was about to happen. Look at verse 3. Then Jacob went out ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Esau ran out to meet him and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they both wept. And here is Joseph, young Joseph, long before the coat of many colors and long before the dreams and long before being sold into slavery and long before being placed into prison before being placed the head over all of Egypt and saving a couple of nations before any of that he was a small child watching his dad and his uncle do business over destroyed family relationships and as a child that was imprinted upon his heart. And it was a picture of forgiveness playing out before his eyes that he was able to reconcile with his brothers, his own brothers, who had betrayed him greatly years later. And it was because he saw that as a kid. Listen, if he hadn't seen that, if Jacob hadn't shown him what forgiveness was, if Jacob hadn't shown him how you do reconciliation and how you say, I'm sorry, and how you repent and how you ask for forgiveness. And here's the question I wanna ask you this morning. Who do you need to do business with? And who does the ministry of reconciliation need to play out with in your life? What about your life? And who's watching? Your your children are watching. And your grandchildren, they're watching. And you think they don't notice? but they do. And you think they're not paying attention, but they are. And and all the way back to the second commandment in Scripture, God said, I will visit the iniquities of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. There is ancestral stuff playing on all throughout this world. And it is being passed from one generation to the next. Things you know about and things you don't know about. We are passing on the good and the bad. And we have the opportunity and we have the choice to either show forgiveness or to hold on to that grudge and give it to our kids and give it to our kids' kids and give it to our kids' kids' kids. We can bottle it up. And the question I want to ask you is what comes to mind as I'm talking? What is the Holy Spirit of God reminding you of and placing on your heart who is it that you did wrong who is it that you need to forgive who is it that you need to be reconciled with and being brought back into relationship with who is that and you can do this you need to do it for yourself but you got to do it for your children and you got to do it soon rather than later And the decision you make, it's not just for you, it's for generations to come. Passing on reconciliation, passing on forgiveness, passing on the the ability to do that hard work in relationships. You want to teach your kids worthwhile lessons in life. That is one. 
that teaches them to unhitch that wagon and walk in freedom and walk in grace and walk in the mercy of God and the decision to reconcile with those that you need to ask for forgiveness and those that you need to offer forgiveness, a decision to reconcile with someone who's wronged you, that is a decision that will not only change your future, it will change your children's future, it will change your grandchildren's future and God's plan is a plan of reconciliation and we just follow his lead. That is the lead that we follow. And that is what he did. And that is his ministry. He sent his son to earth to die for your sins and my sins. And then he resurrected to give us brand new life. And he did all of that to reconcile us and to bring us back into right relationship with our heavenly father. And just like Joseph's brothers, we've all run from God. We've all hurt God and we have all rejected God. And just like Joseph's brothers, we now stand before him. And only those in right relationship with him receive his mercy and receive his grace and receive the covering that comes through the blood of Jesus. Only those who have been reconciled to him. How are you reconciled to God? And how are you reconciled to your heavenly father? How do you make things right with a father that you have sinned against? We've all sinned against. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the answer to that how is you receive the gift. You receive the gift of salvation. You receive the gift of his righteousness. You receive the ministry of reconciliation. We've all run. All of us have run. All of us have made ourselves enemies of God. We were born in sin, and we've all sinned. But God is opening up his arms to us. And and if you've never crossed that faith line, you've never asked him into your life, I I, want to invite you to do that. And so whether you're in uh, DuPage County in Chicago this morning or you're at Midtown this morning or you're watching online or here at Battle Creek, I want to ask all of you, if you would, would you just bow your head and would you close your eyes with me? And as you do that, would you begin to talk to God? And would you pray this morning asking him to speak to your heart? Tell the Holy Spirit you believe in his ministry and that you want him to move with freedom in your life this morning. Ask him to shine his light on your heart and to show you where you need to do business, the business of reconciliation. As children, we, we, we told each other, you need to mind your own business. Let me tell you what your business is that you need to mind. It is the ministry of reconciliation. He has given you and assigned that business to you, and you do need to mind it. No one can do it for you. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus... You've never received the reconciliation that he provides for us with our Heavenly Father, then I, I want to invite you today to do just that, to cross that line of faith, to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So, right where you're seated in all of our environments this morning, w- w- would you just pray and would you just say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. God, would you forgive me for all of my sin? Would you come into my life to be my Lord? You call the shots in my life. Come in as my Savior and my forgiver. In the best way that I know how and the best way that I understand it, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. 
And I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And I receive the gift of salvation, and I receive the ministry of reconciliation this morning. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for saving me. 